If you have a Bible, let me invite you to Galatians chapter number two. Galatians chapter number two. If you're not sure where that is, uh, it's in the New Testament, just following the books of First and Second Corinthians. If you're with us for the first time, or maybe the first time in a while, we have started a series through the book of Galatians, just verse by verse. And uh, it's, it's, we call it a book. It's not really a book. It's a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul to some believers in a in an area called Galatia. That's why it's called Galatians. And and they were experiencing some confusion because uh, Paul had preached the gospel to them, the good news of what it means to come to be in the family of God. And yet there were some who were saying uh, it takes more than just faith in Jesus. It takes the works of, of the Jewish traditions such as circumcision and such as being obedient to holy days like the Sabbath and such as following diet and diet laws and things like that. And so Paul writes this letter. He's con confront that false teaching and says, no, the, the gospel I preach to you is the only true gospel. And for the last couple weeks, now last week we were with the kids uh, talking about VBS, but two weeks ago, we kind of uh, finished up the trail that Paul had written about um, all that had taken place in his life when he started uh, looking at his life prior to coming to know Christ, when he, was a, when he was a Jew and he was persecuting Christians, then his coming to where Jesus appeared to him and revealed himself uh, to Paul, which led to a conversion, and then Paul going out to preach to the Gentiles. And, and he, he rehearses much of his life starting in, in chapter 1, verse 13, going all the way to chapter 2, verse 11, and uh, he tells all about it. And so for the, sake of a, for the sake of a young pastor named Titus and for the sake of this apostle Peter, though, in chapter 2, Paul starts to make the gospel very personal. He, he confronts the legalistic Jews for the sake of Titus. And now you may say, I don't know what legalism is. And legalism is just real simple. It's, it's the right behavior, but with the wrong thinking. It's doing good things, but then thinking or believing that those good things put me in a better standing with God than those who don't do those kinds of things. There's examples of legalism all over the church today. I mean, we, we have a hard time seeing it sometimes. But churches are filled with, with people who think that their church attendance or maybe a suit or a dress or maybe even service to God on that day, puts them in a better position with God than those who, who did not do what they did. And see, legalism isn't about the wrong behavior. It's about the wrong thinking about the right behavior. And so Paul confronts this because he's going to say, Titus does not need to be circumcised like all the rest of you want him to be in order to be a part of the family of God. But then he's going to turn to the apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter is the leader of the church at this point, and, and boy, he is, he is an amazing figure, but Paul confronts what he sees in Peter's, which is hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy is the opposite of legalism. Hypocrisy is the right thinking. I got it right in my head, but it's the wrong behavior. And so if you were here with us two weeks ago, we saw that Peter had this this gospel moment where there was a sheet that was lowered down from heaven and had all kinds of animals on it but they were unclean animals to the Jews and and God said Peter go go kill and eat and Peter's like I don't I can't those are unclean animals and basically God got Peter to a point where he said don't you dare call anything unclean that I have declared clean and Peter realized soon after God's not talking about animals he's talking about people 
Because what God was doing was he was preparing Peter's heart to walk into a group of people that were considered unclean. They were the Gentiles. And if you're not familiar with the term Gentile, we have the Jews, the people of God, and everyone else in the world is considered a Gentile. And God was preparing Peter, who had spent his life as a Jew, ministering to Jews, living like a Jew, to go out and speak to and accept Gentiles. You see, to the Jews, anyone who wasn't a Jew was unclean. That's why Peter had a hard time with this. They didn't follow all the purity laws, so they were unclean. But when Jesus came, he flipped the script on what makes you clean. Prior to Jesus, it was all the animal sacrifices. It was all these purity laws. It was all the, the diet and what they had to do. But Jesus came and Jesus offered himself as a once for all sacrifice so that now anyone who comes through the blood of Jesus can be clean. Jew or Gentile. Peter knew this because he had that gospel moment. And so when he came to this church in Antioch that was all Gentiles, he was kind of eating with them and hanging out with them and having a good time with them, accepting them until some Jews showed up. And as soon as some Jews showed up, Peter stepped back from the Gentiles like, oh, no, 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 these, these guys, I got to put some separation in there. And Paul said, that is hypocrisy. You know the truth, but you're not living it out. And we see hypocrisy still in the church world today. Is this important? Is the word of God important? Oh, we would all say, yes, sir. But for many Christians, this book stays closed all week long. And do we say that church is a priority? Yes, we believe church is a priority, but it seems like we make excuses not to go to church rather than make excuses that I have to go to church and I can't do that. We say that prayer changes things, but we have a hard time spending 60 seconds in prayer with someone. We say that Jesus is our security, but boy, when our bank account gets low, we sure do feel insecure. We say that the mission of God is the greatest calling of believers, but we spend our money like entertainment is really what's most important. We say that purity and modesty is important, but we live, act, and dress in ways that seem to reveal the exact opposite. We have the right thinking, but often our behavior is opposite of what we say we believe in. But Paul saw that hypocrisy in Peter and he called it out. And, and in verse number 11, it says he confronts him. And in verse 14, he said, you know, Peter and those you are inf influencing, your conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel and that's because the gospel confronts legalism and the gospel confronts hypocrisy it confronts the burden of legalism by reminding us that our right standing with God is not based on our actions I don't have to wake up today and work to be in right standing with God Jesus did the work for me the gospel says that he Worked so I could have a right standing with God. But the gospel also speaks into hypocrisy. It confronts that deceit of hypocrisy by reminding us that our actions must ultimately rest on the approval of God. 
See, the way hypocrisy squeaks into our heart is that we sometimes think that the approval and praise of man is more important than the approval of praise of God. And to me, it's why Galatians 1.10, which we were there weeks ago, Galatians 1.10 is the hinge verse for these first two chapters where Paul says, am I trying to please God or to please man? And he ends with this statement. If I were still living a life trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so today we're just gonna, we're gonna continue on Paul's, Paul's, uh, Paul's response to, to, to Peter's hypocrisy. And we're just gonna look at one simple truth. Just, just one simple truth today. I can either stand alone on my good works or I can stand united in Christ's good works. But only one makes me right with God. I can stand alone on my good works or I could stand united in Christ's good works, but only one makes me right with God. Would you look at Galatians chapter two? We're only gonna read two verses this morning. Verse 15 and 16. Galatians chapter two, verses 15 and 16. Here's what the scriptures say. We ourselves, starting in verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Those are the only two verses we're going to read today, but, but you'll notice in those two verses, three times we come across the word justified. There's probably many different ways that some people in this room might explain what the word justified means. You may have heard it in a legal sense, and someone who is, is guilty of something can be declared innocent because their actions were justified. If an armed robber tries to break into a home and the homeowner shoots and kills that armed robber, death occurred. That's a bad thing. But when the investigation reveals that the homeowner was protecting his life and his family's life, what the courts can decide is that action was justified. Even though it was a bad result, it was justified. It made sense. Things were right. Sometimes you may have heard justified in a clerical sense. If you've ever used Microsoft Word or Google Docs, you know that you can justify a paragraph, which means everything lines up on both sides. It's equal. Paul, when he's using the word justified, he's talking in a spiritual sense. And spiritual justification, I'm sorry if you think that's a big word. I'm, I'm going to try to make it as plain as we can, but spiritual justification, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I skipped one. It happens when God declares someone righteous. We're justified when God declares us righteous. And so if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, then at the moment of your salvation, God declared you righteous. You were justified. You found right standing with God. Everything was in order between you and God. That's what justified means I have a right standing with God because God declared me to be in right standing but this raises an issue if you think with me 
Are you, should you and I be in right standing with the holy God? I mean, let's be honest. I know my sins. I know them very well. And for a holy God to look at me and say, no, we are in right standing, it doesn't seem to square up. That really, it really seems out of bounds that God can look at any sinner and say, yes, you are in right standing with me. And it makes sense to us. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not holy and God's holy. And so, so we try to think, well, how can I get in right standing with God? And how do I get in right standing with God? Well, most people would try to say, well, I know the bad that I've done has made me out of right standing with God. Maybe the good I do can make me in right standing with God. Because that would be justified, right? I've done this sin i could do this good work it's it's a, it's a very prevalent thought i mean jeremy's sitting back here and jeremy's so good to see you week after week man i appreciate you but jeremy when when you and i met after pushing joe fogel's truck i mean this is this question that i asked him that i asked everyone hey if god were to meet you outside the gates of heaven and say why should i let you in what would you say and jeremy very kindly said well you know man i, I really think you should try to be a good person right i mean that's and that's the majority of the world is going to say we got to try to do right because we know doing wrong has put us out of god's favor so doing right will get us in god's favor and then and then always follow that question up with well if doing right can can earn us entrance into the kingdom of god why did jesus have to die on a cross And see, here's the thing that starts all the way back in the Garden of Eden. We are not separated from God because we don't have enough good works. We're not separated from God because we haven't done enough good things, because there's an absence of good works. No, our separation from God is because of the presence of sin. And that explains why Jesus had to die on a cross and we can't just do good works because no matter how many good works we do, we still can't get rid of the presence of sin in our life. Only the blood of Jesus offers the forgiveness of sin. That's why we have to have Jesus. And everyone in here, I assume, would want to be right with God. We want God to look at us and say, yep, that person right there, they're in right standing with me. We want that. So how does that happen? Well, Paul answers it. What we're just going to do is we're just going to read through these verses a few more times and just see how Paul answers it. If you look back at verse 15, he starts off by saying, we ourselves are Jews by birth, and not Gentile sinners. Now remember, he's talking to Peter and a group of hypocritical Jews. He says, we're, we're Jews and they're, we're not those Gentiles, those, those sinners away from God, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the first thing that Peter, or Paul is going to confront in these verses is that we are not declared justified by God because of our heritage. He says that Gentile or Jew, 
Now, it's very different in our day because Paul was standing up for this group of people that were considered ineligible to be a part of the family of God because they they didn't follow the Jewish laws and, and they weren't born in the family of Abraham. And we don't really face that problem here today as far as Jew and Gentile. I'll tell you the I'll tell you the heritage struggle that we have though here in America many people consider themselves Christians because their parents took them to church or they consider themselves Christians because their parents themselves went to church or were ministers at a church or they grew up in a Christian home and, and they opened the Bible and they know the stories and they used to read the Bible Paul makes it very clear it's not where you come from that makes you justified it's not because someone prayed with you it's not even because you believe in Jesus it's not even because you believe in Jesus and you believe that Jesus died on a cross because the book of James reminds us that the demons believe in Jesus They even believed Jesus died on a cross because they were there. And if anyone had a heritage, it'd be those angels. I mean, they were at one time in the very throne room of God. They used to be in heaven, and yet now they're awaiting their eternal punishment because they are not justified. Even some descendants of Abraham, who was called the father of all Israel, The man who God chose to say from this one man, I will create a nation for myself. People who are descendants of Abraham are not justified simply because they're descendants of Abraham. Because Romans chapter 9 says this, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. And I say this so kindly, this is not meant to be in any way a critical thought. I just want to make sure that our, our, our minds are clear. We're not justified in the sight of God because we're Americans. We're not justified in the sight of God because we, we live in the Bible Belt. We're not justified in the sight of God because we grew up in church. Heritage is not about being justified. So let's go back and read it again then. He said, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So how can God declare a sinner righteous? Well, Paul said it's not because of your heritage, but he also says it's not because of your good works. I mean, he says it. It seems to be the main message of these two verses is we are not justified by works of the law. And yet the vast majority of the world thinks the way to square things up with God is to be in church on Sunday. Or to do something really good because I did this over here that wasn't really good. I think we should be good people. 
But see, that major roadblock of trying to be a good person is no matter how much good we do, we can never remove the presence of sin. No matter how much good we accomplish, we're powerless to get rid of this sin. Because as we said, we're not separated from God because we haven't done enough good works. We're separated from God because we have the presence of sin in our life. And only Jesus offers that forgiveness. Next week, I plan to kind of take what we're, what we're looking at today and, and jump to a, an interaction in Matthew 19 that Jesus has with a, with a rich man. He was a good man who wanted good things, eternal life. He went to a good person, to the rabbi Jesus, and he said, I'll do good works. He wanted, it was all right, except... He walked away without the eternal life he so truly desired. He walked away without being justified. He walked away not right with God. To realize that we can't make ourselves right with God on our own is really difficult for some people. I remember being in Bible college and we had, I, I, I remember this so clearly, we had a visiting pastor come and he was talking about outreach and I was a freshman or sophomore in Bible college and, and it just stood out, what he said stood out to me so hard. He said, he said, guys, if you ever go, into, go for outreach, let me warn you, don't go places just because it's easy. There are people in this world when you talk about the gift of salvation, there are people who very readily will hold their hands out to something because they're used to taking something for free. So it's easy to convince someone, oh, salvation doesn't cost anything, it's free. Oh, really? I'll take it. He said, what you will find is that the hardest people that you will ever meet to convince them that the gift of salvation is not something you can earn are people who have worked hard for everything they have ever gotten in their lives. They're hardworking people who go to work every day and the only money that shows up in their bank account is the money that they earned. And they save and save and save and save so that they could maybe take a special trip because they earned it. And then when you show up saying, hey, God's got a gift that is free, they're going to say, eh, no, what's the catch? Uh-uh. But see, salvation really isn't free. It costs Jesus everything. And if we really truly have a saving faith, It'll cost us everything too. Because he's going to ask us to surrender all that we are to him. See, only those who are willing to admit, I, I cannot make it, I cannot justify myself on my own. We're the only ones who are willing to turn to Christ and his blood to be justified. Those who are willing to turn to Jesus as the true Messiah and true deliverer and not look to themselves as their own Messiah and their own deliverer. One more time. Let's read through it one more time. He says it's not about heritage and it's not about good works. 
Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So we're not justified by our heritage. We're not justified by our good works. Paul simply says we are declared justified. We're declared that we have a right standing with God because of our faith in Jesus. Now we're going to spend some time in Galatians a little bit, a little bit uh, in, in, in a later sermon on what the word faith really means. I, I was listening to a man teach on faith recently and he said faith Faith is a word that we love, but it's not even a word that was ever used by Jesus. The, Ameri- the English language hadn't even been invented. And so the word faith means, I, th- I think, we, I think what, what he said is the word, the word faith is more than just a belief of existence. It's a declaration of allegiance. It's sort of like trying to explain love. I love my family. Okay, we could say it. How do we know it? And we'll talk a little bit more about that, but but see, the the demons believe in Jesus, so we, we know that faith has to be more than just believing Jesus exists. What the demons will not do is declare an allegiance to Jesus. They'll not recognize him as their Messiah. They will not look to him as the way to find justification or right standing with God. And here's what faith actually does. And you just, I'm almost done. So just let me like kind of bring it down. What faith actually does, when I have faith in the person, the Messiah of who Jesus is, the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus, his, his incarnate, oops, the banners aren't there, sorry. The, the banner that's over there that says the incarnation, when, when, the, when the creator God came to earth and, and when he was crucified and then buried in the tomb and he resurrected from the grave and then ascended all the way back up to the heavens from which he came, to sit on the throne. See, when I believe that, what God does is he takes my faith in the person and in the work of Jesus and he unites me with Jesus. You see, Paul, in just a few more verses, he's going to make this statement. I am crucified with Christ. Paul, you're standing right there. How are you crucified with Christ? But he knows that by faith, when God looks at him, he was crucified with Christ. He'll say in the book of Colossians and in the book of Romans that he was buried with Christ in baptism into his death. So crucified. Paul was crucified with Christ. He was buried with Christ. And then he'll say in Romans that he was resurrected with Christ. And so Paul says, by faith, when God looks at me, when when I have 
faith in the person and the work of Jesus. I have saving faith. When God looks at me, he looks at me as, as, as someone who has been crucified, someone who has been buried, and someone who has been resurrected, which now like, oh, so that makes sense. How can I be justified in the sight of God? Well, because I can have faith in his son, and when he looks at me having faith in his son, he sees me as his son. And says, yeah, my son is right in right standing with me. And since you have been unified with my son, you are in right standing with me. Which then says, ah, so this is the problem with good works. Good works is on my own, apart from Christ. I'm trying to justify myself with the Father when he says you'll never justify yourself through your good works because you always have the sin in your life. But when you come into unity with Jesus, I can look at a sinner and say, he's been crucified, resurrected, and crucified, buried, and resurrected. Yep, this guy is justified. And that is all through faith. And so then you say, well, then I want to be justified. What do I do? See, and I'm saying, that's, that's the wrong question. It's not what do I do? It's how do I become justified? And it's simple. We have to accept that we come to God empty-handed. It's not on me. It's not the good works I do. I, I come to God empty-handed. I admit that I'm responsible for my sin and my separation. It's, it's my sin that has separated me from God. And then I acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the deliverer that was sent by God in order to redeem me. And then I surrender my life to Jesus. And I allow him to live in and through me, I'm united with him. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I still live, but it's not I who live, it's he who lives in me. How does that happen? Through my faith in his son. And then, once you have been justified, and it's, it's a momentary, just like that, and then you are justified. But once you have been justified, Return to that faith and unity in Jesus Christ every day. Because here's what justification does not mean. It does not mean you are now perfect and sinless. See, being justified doesn't make you holy. Being justified means God has declared you holy. Now we get to live out what God has said about me. And that is another long word called sanctification. That's a word that for the rest of our lives, we try to live out what God declares to us when he justifies us. I have been put in right standing with God. Now I want to live out that right standing with God for the rest of my life. Will I fail? Yes. That's why I come back and realize I am not justified because of my good works. So when I fail, I am not unjustified because of my good works. I come right back to remind myself I am justified with God. I am in right standing with the creator of 
the world because I have faith in his son. And we come back to that day after day after day. We'll begin to remember that today is the day where I live out what God has already said about me. Some people take this justification and they say, well, I'm justified. Now I can go do whatever I want to do. And Paul says very clearly in Romans, no, you don't understand grace. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is a beautiful forgiveness of sin. But some people want to take grace and say, I can go do what I want to. No, 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 you come back because you have been declared holy. So live holy. One of my favorite verses, and I say it all the time, and forgive me for it, but 2 Corinthians 3.18 reminds us as we glimpse at the glory of God, that's when we become more like the glory of God. We are transformed from one degree of glory to another as we behold the glory of Jesus. So that's why every day you want to wake up and say, let me look at Jesus. Oh, look at what Jesus did for me. I believe how my faith is in you. And as we do that, more glory of Jesus comes to our lives. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and pray. I would just love for you to kind of think where you might be today. I have no doubt that there's some in this room and Boy, when I, say, when I said justification, that word was, was really big and makes no sense to you and you're still really struggling with it, and that's okay. Would you, would you, when we bow our heads and pray, would you pray that God continues to reveal to you truth? There's some who may be in this room and you're saying, you know, I've been trying, I've really been trying to work my way to God by trying to be a good person, but I see what Paul's saying. It's not about my good works. It's about my faith in Jesus. And today is the day that I want to put my faith in who Jesus is and in what Jesus has done, and I want to become a follower of Christ. There might be some of you who said, I, you know what? I am a follower of Christ, but I'm not living like I should. I need to, need to return and once again glimpse into the person of work, a person and work of Jesus to be reminded of who he is so I can live that out. And last, there's one last group of people. Some of you that have failed and failed and failed and failed and failed to truly live out to what you believe God wants you to, that you've stopped trying. You're not justified with God because of your good works. It means you're not unjustified with God because of your bad works. Come back to that faith of who Jesus is and ask for the power of God to work with you for you to live out what you know God wants you to do and you will fail but tomorrow morning come back to this faith and the next morning come back to this faith and remember I've been crucified with him I've been buried with him I've been resurrected with him and now he lives in me it's not my life. It's his to live. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for, for who you are, Lord, and for what you have done for this world in the person of Jesus. You could have left us in our sin, but you sent your son. You sent him to redeem us. Oh, what a lovely name. 
I'm so grateful that when we look at who Jesus is, we find that unity in the person and in the work that Jesus has done for us. Father, I know that I've tried to, there's, there's been times in my life where I've tried to really, really impress you. And Lord, I've, I've never impressed you. You have accepted me because I have believed in what Jesus has done. And Father, there's, there's hearts out here. Some of them, honestly, they're probably tired and weary hearts, some of them. Father, Satan has, has defeated them time and time again. And Lord, to, to try to live out the, the work that you have for them does not sound exciting. I pray that you would bring them back to this point of realizing that they have been, they found unity in the person of Jesus. And it's him, Jesus, who lives in me. Father, if there's some who are thinking, I'm not, I'm not good enough for God to accept me. God would never want me. Oh, oh, God wants everyone. And there's only one way that we come to God and that's through the person of Jesus. But it's for everyone, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor. It's for everyone. And Father, I pray that for those who maybe have a question, for those who have been followers of yours for decades and decades, I pray that we would all come back to the person of Jesus today. And with with bowed heads in reverence for who you are, we just say, thank you. I recognize you, Jesus, as God's Messiah. You've come to do the work that the Father asked you to do and you've completed it. And my only hope is to believe in who you are and what you have done. Lord, I pray that you would draw us all close to you and remind us it's not about what we've done. You don't love us because we're good. You're good. We're your children if we're believers and followers. And may we be excited about that. Would you take just a moment? Would you pray to the Lord? And, well, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your, as your Lord and as your Savior, would you call out to him? let him know that you know you can't make it because of who you are or what you do it's only your belief in who Jesus is what he's done and a willingness to surrender all Lord would you do your work in these hearts can I invite the worship team to come on up and we'll sing about that lovely name of Jesus